That was awesome. Wasn't that cool? That's the first time I've seen that. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome. How you guys doing? Good. If this is one of your first times here, uh, I'm right here with you. Just like Kyle said, this is my second time, so it's really good to be with you guys. I was looking forward to it today, and uh, can't wait for what we're jumping into and studying together today. But I want to ask you a question, first of all, uh, and the question is this. Have you ever struggled to find God in bad situations? Have you ever asked the question, where is God? I was just writing down a couple of different things, uh, even just reflecting on this last year. Uh, where's God when I get cancer? Where's God when I'm going through a divorce? Where's God when I'm struggling through infertility, when I lose my job, when disaster strikes? I mean, where is God when things are not going well? Have you ever struggled to actually find him or like see him at work? Uh, I know I have. I'll share a couple different stories with you later on in this message today. Um, but I think this, I think so many people within the church and then also outside the church struggle to answer that question uh, of where is God? Uh, a couple main events are like on a macro level. You know, I think it's easy to start micro and go, okay, where is God in my life when things don't go well? But what about like all of our lives? Uh, where was God during the Great Depression? Where was God during 9-11? Where was God during the last year and the riots that were hitting all across our nation? Where, where was God during the pandemic? Do, do you ever wonder that question? Do you ever wonder if he is present or if he is working or, or if we're just missing him? Uh, the big question I really want to tackle today, just for the couple minutes that we have together, uh, is this. Would I recognize God if I actually saw him? Would I actually recognize him? If you're part of a church, or if you're part of the church, or this church, if you're a Jesus follower, what we believe is uh, God is at work all the time, and God uses good situations and bad situations. Uh, but the question I want to unpack today is, is, what does God do when things break? And am I able to see him, or are we able to see him, or sometimes are we looking for the wrong thing? I, I can't help, I was, just, I was spending a lot of time thinking about this this week, is if God showed up, would I see him, would I recognize him, or in my mind, am I looking for a very specific solution, or a specific way that things ought to be fixed or done, or, I mean, as funny as this sounds, am I just looking for a guy walking around in a robe in sandals that looks like Jesus? Like, if I saw that, would I go, that's Jesus? That's God at work, or, or would I miss God at work if I see something different? So I want to go back to all the way Genesis chapter 1. Um, you guys know this. God made everything, right? Do we know this? Are you with me? Say amen. amen. God made everything. God made everything. Right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, the Garden of Eden, God created the heavens and the earth. He created land. He created sea. He created animals and fish and birds. He, he created all of it, and then he created Adam and Eve. So he created Adam and Eve, and it says, on the seventh day he rested, and he looked, and everything was good. Everything was good. Everything, let me say it this way, was perfect. It was created to exist and to function and to relate with each other exactly as it was supposed to. It wasn't just like, yeah, I, I created this artwork, or I created this drawing, or, or I created this, this pottery, whatever. It was like everything existed perfectly. I just marvel sometimes when you think about like ecosystems that work and function together, that animals and plants and in different parts of the world and different, like they all have what they need to survive. In the Garden of Eden, this was true of everything. There was no cancer, there was no separation, there no, was no disease, there was no virus, there was no oak wilt. I was learning about that this week. There was no brokenness that exists. So when God says everything was good, everything was perfect. 
Everything was perfect. And it was awesome for two chapters. And then Genesis chapter 3 happened. But it says this, I want to capture this, in John chapter 1, so we're going to go all the way to the New Testament, John chapter 1, here's what it says, and it's actually describing Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. So in the very beginning, not just the beginning of creation, but in the beginning of everything was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you're going to catch this, it's talking about Jesus as the Word, Jesus. That's why word is capitalized. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Even in Genesis, it's fascinating how, how the talk about darkness and light occurs. And what John is saying, the apostle John, as he's writing, is he's saying, hey, Jesus is light. That there is light and there is darkness, and the light repels the darkness. In the beginning was Jesus. He always has been. He always will be. And he was good, and he was perfect, just like the world that he created. But Genesis chapter 3, as we already know, Adam and Eve sinned. The consequences of sin took place, and it introduced brokenness. I've thought about heaven a lot this week. And try to wrap my mind around what, what will a world be like for us? What, what will heaven be like? What, after we die someday, what, how different will it feel to us when everything works perfectly? When everything functions perfectly? Uh, I met with a uh, personal trainer for the first time this last week, and I was well aware that my body does not function perfectly uh, or anywhere even close to it. I took ibuprofen this morning because I, I couldn't hardly stand up. I told Kyle this morning, I said, I was actually thinking about preaching this morning, and I went, man, I'm so glad they don't have any stairs here because I'm just hurting. <laughs> Sometimes, like, you ever think about, man, someday, like, when I, I get to be in the presence of God and everything is perfect, I feel no pain. I've wondered, like, will there, will there be, like, a market? Will things cost money? Or will everybody just, what do you need? I'm, I'm here to help, and I function well, and nothing breaks, and nothing rusts, and nothing, like, nothing bad. I, it's just, it's so hard for us to comprehend because brokenness and pain and discomfort and erosion and rust and viruses, all of this stuff that is broken that was never intended to be from the very beginning has become normal. And so it's so hard sometimes for us to live in a state of pure brokenness and try to find God in it, because God's perfect. God's holy. God's set apart. God, God is good, and yet so much, it, what's so funny, I think about this a lot, our perspective of what is good is actually not good at all. It's not good at all, because what was good, what was truly good was how God created it in the beginning. Our perception or our understanding of, of good is capped by this thing called sin. So when Adam and Eve made a decision in Genesis, when they dis disobeyed God, God says, you can eat from any fruit, any tree, you can do whatever you want in this garden, but do not eat this fruit. It was one tree right in the middle. And, and Satan came, and he tempted them, and he said, oh, God's withholding from you. And they bought it, and they believed it, and they bit it. And they bit into the fruit, and at that point, there was distance between us and God. So here's, here's where I'm going today, just for those of you that are taking notes or want to know, like, tell me where you're going to land so I can track with you the entire time. I'm going to tell you where I'm going to land today. What does God do when things break? God sends someone. God sends someone. When things are broken, 
God sends someone. So sometimes it might feel hard to find God when we're going through cancer, when we're going through divorce, when we receive a bad diagnosis, when we're struggling with our jobs, when our kids are running away from the Lord, whatever it might be, sometimes it's hard to find God or to see him in the brokenness. And often we say, God, I want you to fix my brokenness. I want you to fix it. My, much of my life, I'll share a story here in just a second. Much of my life, things that break, I say, God, I would, I would love to see you fix this, this one thing. And it's not through the lens that is maybe correct or maybe that I should have. It's through the lens of what do I want and how do I want it done on my time frame. Can you relate? It's so easy to say, God, I want to see you move by fixing this one thing in my life. And what I, I want to share with you today and what I think is so important is God is intent on fixing the brokenness in our world. But it's not the superficial, symptomatic brokenness. It's the, the systemic, core brokenness that started and took place in the Garden of Eden. That is the brokenness. I, disclaimer alert, if you read this entire Bible, I told you, Genesis chapter 1, God creates. It's amazing. Genesis chapter 2, there's Adam and Eve. Everything's perfect. Genesis chapter 3, this book has a lot of chapters. We're three chapters in, sin enters the world, and the rest of the book is God's plan and how God is actively fixing and undoing the brokenness that happened in Genesis chapter 3. Revelation is a total restoration back to Genesis. So what we're going to talk about today is where is God when things are bad? Where is God when things are broken? Where is God when things aren't right? Where is God in the addiction? Where is God in the depression? Where is God in the funeral? That's what we're going to unpack together today. So I want to read this. Let's go. John chapter 1, verse 14. We have already talked. When things break, God sends someone. So verse 14, it says this, the word became flesh. Still talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. This is what's so cool. If you look all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament, when things break, God sends someone. When an entire city would rebel against God, God sent Jonah, a city called Nineveh. They turned their backs on God. They said, we're just going to do our own thing. God sends Jonah to intercede on their behalf to give them a message, and they turn from their ways. When God saw the Israelites who were bound in bondage and slavery in Egypt, God sends Moses and says, I want you to go let my people go. I want you to go free them. I want you to go straight to the authority, straight to Pharaoh, and say, these are God's people. Let them go. I mean, it's crazy. All throughout the prophets that God sent, even the very wall of Jerusalem, after years of war and famine and dispersion, whatever, the wall has become so decrepit that God sends Nehemiah. And Nehemiah comes and he leads this building, uh, I don't know, function, program, appeal. He leads the effort that rebuilds the wall. When things are broken, God sends someone. But then in in John chapter 1, verse 14, here's what it says. If God's intent is to focus on fixing the brokenness that happened in Genesis chapter 1, God didn't just send anyone. He sent himself. It's called the incarnation. When it talks about flesh, it actually, it's the same word. It's called sarks 
in Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar. Um, pretty much every other church I've, I've spoken at, they go, yep, you, take, you talk for two minutes about Greek, and we know you don't know what you're talking about. So I'm not going to try to convince you I know Greek or what I'm talking about, but sarx, S-A-R-X in Greek speaks to flesh. Uh, the other word that would be closely related to it is like carnal, so like carnivore meat eating. So uh, this isn't saying Jesus was a meat eater, but this is, this says Jesus became flesh. Jesus became meat. Jesus became us. What's so crazy is the world was broken. I mean, systemically. And God says, I'm going to send my son, not as one who is distant, because that's what people were used to. Very beginning in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, there was distance between them and God. It says God used to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. And after they had sinned, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. There was a curse on the ground, and there was separation between them. So when God sends Jesus, he sends him incarnate in flesh to be like us, to be next to us, to be relatable to us, and so that we might recognize him. So important and so cool how this fits into the, in the overall story of the kingdom. But here's the problem. So many people didn't recognize Jesus as the son of God because he wasn't who they were looking for. So many people did not recognize Jesus. I, here's what stinks for all of us, right? If you consider yourself a church person, uh, if you consider yourself like, yeah, I've been in a church or I, I've attended church, you know, I, I'm a Christian, I'm a Jesus follower. Here's what stinks for us. Um, the Jesus people of Jesus' time didn't recognize Jesus. So if we had been born 2,000 years earlier, there's a real good chance many of us wouldn't have recognized Jesus. And then it gets worse for somebody like me who's up here with a microphone. The church leaders definitely didn't recognize Jesus, and they killed him. So how is it possible that God could become man? God, God could become human. God could become a person so relatable to us, and we don't catch it. It's because they were looking for something Else. Let's go to the specific time. Um, even this is part of the Israelites' history. So the, the Israelites, or the Jewish people, these were God's chosen people. And within their culture, within their history, within their DNA, was being oppressed. Things were broken in their lives for generations. I talked about a couple of them. They were in Egypt as slaves for over 400 years. And then after that, they moved where? They didn't go to the Hilton. They went to the middle of the desert, and they walked around, and they wandered for 40 years. And God says, I'm going to bring you to the promised land. Well, eventually, they do get to the promised land. The old generation passes away. The new generation comes in. But it's not too long later until the Roman government comes in and becomes their new oppressor in the promised land. So the people... God's people are so sick of being oppressed. They're so sick of being slaves. They're so sick of being treated like garbage. They're so sick of being at the bottom. They're, in their minds, the Messiah that they're waiting for is a king who will come and do what for them? Overthrow the government. Overthrow the government. Put them on top. Switch everything around. 
Fix what is broken for us. Make us winners. That's what they were looking for. So can't you imagine how frustrating or how angering it would be to meet Jesus, who by all means, signs are pointing that he is the Messiah, but he doesn't care at all about some of those things we just listed. Doesn't care about overthrowing the government, doesn't care about making you first, doesn't care about punishing. Jesus came in with a totally different agenda, and the agenda was fixing Genesis 3 brokenness. The fixing that Jesus was after was restoring the relationship between people and God. The people that were waiting for Jesus were looking for a Messiah that elevated them above other people. Catch the difference? Horizontal. We want to fix here. Us with other people. Put us on top. Make us better. Free us, etc. Jesus came and goes, no, no, no. You guys are all broken. You're actually on the same level. And I came to, to fix this relationship. How frustrating would that be? Can we just call that as it is? To hear the Messiah you've longed for for thousands of years isn't going to fix your problem. Not the superficial ones, anyway. Um, I remember college. College was one of my favorite seasons of life. Um, it was just awesome. You know, I mean, it's like all fun, very little responsibility. Uh, my least favorite part of college, maybe I can relate to some of you, was class, like the actual school part. <laughs> I just hated that part. That, I mean, if I had to do just class, college would have been horrible. But everything else that came with college, uh, the independence, I mean, the fun. I, I played Frisbee like it was my job. I mean, I was probably working like 20 to 25 hours a week on my Frisbee game. It was just fantastic. Made a ton of friends. Uh, felt like I was moving up like in a lot of areas. Like I was finally becoming my own. That's what I was doing. I, I, just, I loved the season that I was in because I was like getting a groove. There was one area of my life that just was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Any guesses what that might have been? Love life. I heard it in the back somewhere. Love life was horrible. It was horrible. In fact, I remember saying to people, I said this, I'm ashamed to tell you now. I remember like telling people, I'm like, I feel like God's for me in every area of my life except dating. I feel like that one he's actively opposed. <laughs> it's like there were, there were girls that I was interested in that I, I was like, she's a rock star. Like, just home run, believer. Like, she's great. Like, yes, she's the one. Not interested in me at all. At all. Like, not even. I've had a couple of those conversations, too. Like, hey, what if we became a thing? Oh. Anytime they go, it's an O that goes from the top down, you're like, oh, this is going to suck. And it did. Oh, it did. So that was, that was like my love life. Or here's the opposite side. It was some women that had a healthy dose of psycho were just all about me. And it's just, I, I had breakup conversations with women I didn't date. Think about that. So I, I hated that area of my life when I was in college because I'm like, God, this is the one thing I want. Fix it. Come on. I'm doing everything right. Sort of. I'm like, come on, God. Like, what, what else do you want from me? I'm trying. I'm working. What, and it starts after a while, right? It's funny. I'm glad you can laugh at me now. 
But like in the time, I mean, some of you, you know this feeling. You start asking this question, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What is it that's not attractive about me? What is it that, that people don't see, that women wouldn't see me? That, what, what, what's wrong with me? And it turned to like a resentment with God. Like you're withholding from me. You did this to me. You're working against me. You know, it was crazy. For years, that was the season I was in. It was so frustrating. I was like, I was like one of the Jewish people wanting God to show up and fix what was wrong in my life. And when he didn't, I was frustrated. I was angry. I had already decided what I needed and when I needed it, and God was overdue. You know, it's funny, there was actually, over the course of the years, maybe it's just my personality, maybe it's kind of I'm a fighter or I'm a pusher, but it's like years and years and years, and I remember, I still remember, it was January. I don't remember what year, I could figure it out, um, but it was a January of the year, it was my first semester in seminary. And I remember thinking, okay, God, you forced me in the seminary, never wanted to go there, never wanted to be a pastor, that's what I felt like. I, I said, okay, here I am, but I, I'm actually finding a rhythm, like this is where you've called me now. If you want me to be single for the rest of my life, I'm okay with that. In fact, this is what changed. I still remember it. It was so vivid. In fact, what I said was, you know what? I'll capitalize on it. I'll go where nobody else will go. I'll go to the hard places. I'll travel. I'll never have a home. I'll live your life, Jesus. Whatever you want. If this is what you've called me to, I'm okay. Do you hear the difference that took place in my heart? I meant it. I went, all right. You don't win when God opposes you in an area of your life. Do you know that? If you're not a note taker, write that one down. If God is against something in your life, it's not going to work for you. And I got to that point. I went, okay, Lord, I, I just give that to you. If that's what you've called me to, I will obey. I'll do that. I met my wife two months later. How confusing is that? You want to know what's crazy, too? It was set up. It was a blind date. It was set up by a 54-year-old man that said, you guys have a lot in common. Never knew her. Our paths never would have crossed. I mean, it, it was an act of God that brought us together. And it's not a coincidence. But what's funny is what God was at work doing was not superficial. It was not about a wife for me. It was not about a girlfriend or a fiance. It wasn't about a family. It wasn't about a future. What God was at work doing was a heart issue. I wanted something more than I wanted God. And I was giving God a prescription for what he needed to do in my life rather than me approaching him and saying, I'm here to serve you. And the heart change is key. What area in your life is like that? What area in your life are you begging God to fix and you feel like he won't do it? What area of your life has been unsettled, unsatisfied, unfulfilled that you're just like, what the heck? What am I doing? What am I doing wrong? 
What's wrong with me? What is that thing for you in your life? Is it possible that God is at work doing something deeper on a heart level that has way more to do with distance between you and him that comes from Genesis chapter 3 than oppression that we feel in the moment? This whole book is God undoing what was broken in Genesis chapter 3. But we have the ability to miss it if we start looking at symptoms rather than systems. So what area for you is broken in your life that you're waiting for God to fix? I wrote down a couple of these. Maybe it's a health condition. Maybe it's kids. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's something like anxiety or depression. I have good news for you today. Sitting in heaven, God sees you and loves you and understands the suffering, understands the pain, understands the brokenness. And so he said, I'm not content watching you. I'm going to send myself to you. He sends us Jesus 2,000 years ago. He also sends us the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about in a second. So he, he gives us the Holy Spirit, but then he doesn't stop there. How many of you, Kyle said it this morning during his intro. He probably didn't even realize he said it. How many of you have received a word of encouragement from somebody else right at the time that you needed it? How many of you have, have had people that show up in your life unexpectedly or unannounced that walk with you for a season in which you look back in hindsight and you go, I can't believe they were there, but I so desperately needed them. God sends us his son, God sends us his Holy Spirit, but he also sends us people who are the incarnate version of himself. The hands and feet, the words, the mouthpieces. God also sends other people so that we might recognize him through them. Uh, how many of you have seen the movie Argo? Have you seen that movie? If you haven't seen that movie, it is a weird one. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll give you the summary here. So I think it was 19... 1979, I want to say is what it was. Uh, basically, there was a crisis in Iran. There were ambassadors and diplomats that were living in the embassy in Iran. And basically, uh, Iranian rebels stormed the U.S. embassy, uh, took control. I think there were 449 uh, diplomats, and U diplomats and U.S. citizens that were held captive. There was a giant hostage crisis. Six of them escaped, and they hid. And so Argo, this movie, it's with Ben Affleck, and, and the whole movie, it's the weirdest idea ever I've ever, it's like, really, this is what our tax dollars go towards. The CIA came up with an idea. They found out that the six diplomats were hiding in the Canadian ambassador's house. And they said, we need to get them out, but the country has turned against us. So here's how we're going to get them out. We're going to pretend like we're a movie crew. And we're going to go inside and we're going to act like we're filming a movie. We're going to give them all the passports and stuff like that so that they look Canadian or that they seem Canadian and that they're part of this crew. And we're going to smuggle them out of the country. That's the best plan the CIA came up with. That's a little embarrassing, I would just say. I remember hearing the premise of the movie going, that sounds like the dumbest movie I could ever watch. It was fantastic. It was fantastic, but I, I was consumed with this idea or consumed like with the thought of an ambassador. 
or a diplomat. Do you know what an ambassador is? Check this out. This is the definition of an ambassador. It's an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. Here's what, that, here, here's what this means. If I was a diplomat for the United States, if I go over to Iran, I represent our country. That if I reside in the embassy, the embassy is considered U.S. soil. That everything that, that comes with our country is embodied in my presence. I'm an ambassador. I'm a representative. I can speak. I can negotiate. I can do all these things. I can make decisions on behalf of my country because they've accredited me. They've empowered me. They've delegated authority to me. The U.S. has 189 ambassadors all over the world. Do you know that this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, calls us if you're a believer in Jesus? Here's what he says, 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And he uses that word. Isn't that awesome? We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to who? That's Genesis 3, brokenness. Paul is saying, get right with God. When you get right with God, you are accredited by God. You are empowered by God. And now you're an ambassador of God to all areas of the world. And the ground that you stand on is kingdom ground. And the authority you stand on is God's authority. And even if the country around you becomes hostile, this is why this movie is so cool, even if the country around you is hostile, here's what God promises. I'll rescue you. I'll rescue you. That the world might turn against you. There have been martyrs of the faith. There have been people who have died serving the Lord. But I tell you what, right now, those that have died, those that were murdered as representation or ambassadors of God, they'll tell you, he rescued me. Because God's not just intent on the symptomatic although he'll move that way. He's intent on the systemic. He's intent on fixing, on undoing the Genesis 3 brokenness. And so here's, here's as I close here, um, I think we often think as followers of Jesus, our job is to invite people to church. You don't have to nod, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to do, but isn't it true that often it feels like that's what we're supposed to do? What if I told you that's not your job? What if I told you that's, that's not what God had in mind when he called you as an ambassador? What if I told you your job is to go to the places that are hostile, to go to the places that are broken? I, I had a, a president in seminary at my commencement, so graduation. My president gets up there and he says this, move towards the pain. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what he's called us to do. Your job as a follower of Jesus is to move towards brokenness. Genesis 3 brokenness. 
brokenness between people and God. And as an ambassador, as we reconcile ourselves, as we repent, as we come before the Lord and we go, I bring nothing to this equation. You bring everything. And he goes, I know, and that's enough. You've been reconciled. Jesus says, you bring that sort of reconciliation and restoration to the world, you will be amazed at what I can do through you. Our job isn't to just invite people to come to church. Our job is to take church to them, to take God to them. There are places in our world, there are places in our country, there are places in our community of which God is not welcome, but you are. Isn't that funny? There's a lot of school systems today that God is not welcome in the school system, but some of you work in the school system. I used to. Bus driver, substitute teacher, my goodness, it was crazy how much kids had brokenness in their lives that very few people around them paid attention to. But if you're in the school system, you have a calling on your life. You're an ambassador. Maybe, maybe you work in the, the healthcare industry. My wife is a nurse. She's working at the hospital today. COVID numbers are going up again. My wife is an ambassador to people who are sick, to people who are hurting, to people who are hopeless, to people who are anxious, and to systemic family brokenness. She has the ability to speak into it. Maybe you're in business. Maybe you're in public service. Maybe you're a first responder. God has sent you as an ambassador to be his incarnation to people that may not ever interact with Jesus outside of their interaction with you. Even this week, I was thinking about, man, who I live next to. We live on a, a small little street. There's nine houses, and I think one other one is a Christian. That's it. I'm an ambassador to my neighborhood. You are an ambassador that God has given power and authority to be a representation of him to the world. I want to close with this one. John chapter 20, verse 21. We can bring the band back up too. John chapter 20, verse 21, it says this. And Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't leave us alone. Jesus also said, I will be with you. Matthew 28, Jesus looks at the crowd crowd of about 70 people that had followed him, that were walking with him, that, that were about to miss him and could have easily become centric, like us-centric, like let's just do our thing. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm sending you out into the world to make disciples of all nations. And you baptize them and you teach them to obey everything I've commanded you and I will be with you to the end of the age. And this is how. He's given us his Holy Spirit. God, who was once distant, is now so close, he is within us. So the uh, depression no longer has power over you. Jesus has power over that. Anxiety no longer has power. Addiction no longer has power. Divorce no longer has power. Woundedness no longer has power. Fear no longer has power. And man, it seems like it does, doesn't it? But what God says is, nope. When I live inside of you, everything submits to me. And you are my ambassador. 
was talking to Kyle this week just in preparation, and I think you guys have a saying around here as story. Because we're called Story Church here. And so the saying he said goes like this, don't just hear the story of Jesus, but live the story of Jesus. Our world's broken. A lot of our families are broken. A lot of our bodies are broken. A lot of relationships. I mean, pick a category, right? There's brokenness all over the place. What brokenness is God asking you to step into on his behalf? You don't have to know what to do. You don't have to have the plan. You don't have to know how to fix it. You, but here's what you do have to do. God, I'm willing. I'm willing. And as I reconcile myself to you, I will better be able to step in and bring reconciliation for others. So I will be obedient to you. I will follow you. I'll say what you want me to say. He'll put it on your heart. You'll know. I'll do what you want me to do. This one's tough. I'll give what you want me to give. And I'll go where you want me to go. What area of brokenness in this community is God tapping you on the shoulder and saying, I want you to take a step into this as my ambassador. And he promises that he will be with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this room. Thank you for your church. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for seeing us in our brokenness, in our state of pain, in our state of separation and distance from you and not being content with us staying there. Thank you for promising to undo the Genesis 3 brokenness and to restore creation as you intended it to be so that you might walk with us again so close, so tangible in a world where things are right. Father, we long for that day. We can't wait for that day. But for right now, Father, there's brokenness all around us and it might scare us or it might make us want to run the opposite direction, but you have called us to move towards it, to not be afraid. So Father, thank you. We pray for, for healing right now. I pray for healing just even in this room. I think there are some in this room right now uh, who have a pain or a wound that happened maybe a long time ago, uh, maybe some of them even recently that you want to minister to, Father. I pray for protection over them. I pray for healing for them, not just on a physical level, but on an emotional level, on a heart level. I also pray for people who know where you're calling them to step into and they're afraid something that you've been stirring on their hearts for a while and you've confirmed it again. I just pray against the spirit of fear. Pray that you would equip them. Pray that you would give them power and boldness and courage to step in where you are calling them to step in as your ambassador. You've already declared a victory. So allow us to put our hope and our trust in you and in you alone. We love you, Lord. And we all pray this together in Jesus' name. Everybody said Amen.